Welcome to Be With Champions. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and today I just have a wonderful chat with one of the greatest endurance coaches in the world, Dan Lorang. And Dan is just incredibly forthcoming in this conversation. He goes into detail about how he approaches the year for each of his athletes and, and how they start with a VO2 type work, VO2 max work at the beginning, then they move into strength endurance and then they go into race specific. And after that race, they'll cycle back through all of that again several times throughout the year and, and how he doesn't use races for training. If they go to race, they, they go to win and they go to prepare for that race specifically to win. And he, in this conversation, he really goes into great detail about triathlon versus cycling and the different cultures and how they've been able to integrate together. His relationships with uh, both Jan Fredino and Annie Hug, who uh, won the 2019 World Championships in Kona last year. And just so many wonderful takeaways. Um, I really appreciate him coming on and just, just sharing so much wealth of knowledge that he has. A few things before we get going. If you want to go to bennettendurance.com forward slash media, there you can find the timestamps, um, the show notes. You can find the sponsor's coupon codes and and links to uh, to look up the guest, Dan, and um, how you can follow him. Um, please subscribe if you're enjoying the show. It really help me out. And please share it if you get the chance. That would also help me grow this show, and um, that would be fantastic. And also keep the feedback coming, guys. I really, really appreciate that. If that's either on uh, social media Instagram, I'm Greg Bennett World. On Twitter, I'm Greg Bennett One. Um, if you want to give me feedback on iTunes, that's also wonderful. I just can't respond to you there, but I do appreciate it. And I am listening. So please keep it coming. Enjoy this one. I really did. Before we start, I've got to give a quick shout out to the brands that make this show possible. The only brands I'm working with are brands that provide products that I use daily and truly believe in. These products support my immunity, they help improve my recovery and my focus. First up, my friends at Athletic Greens. I love this company and I love their all-in-one daily drink. It's become a part of my morning routine. I'm heavily focused on supporting my immunity and boosting my energy and, and helping my gut health, but I want to do it naturally. And I found that support with Athletic Greens, a whole food sourced green drink that tastes great and there's no hassle. It's delivered straight to your door. And it's a highly absorbable powder that takes seconds to mix with water, so there's no clumpiness to deal with. I can't believe a green drink sourced from Whole Foods can actually taste so good. Personally, I truly love it. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins and minerals. It's packed with aptogens for recovery, probiotics and digestive enzymes for gut health, and vitamin C and zinc citrate for immune support. So Athletic Greens is designed to help fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. And there's a great offer going on now for you to give it a try. Simply go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg to claim our special offer of 20 free tra daily travel packets with your first order. $79 added value. And get Athletic Greens delivered straight to your door. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. This show is also brought to you by my friends at Hyperice. Some of these products I've been using for almost a decade. Makers of the award-winning Hypervolt the world's most powerful percussion massage device featuring quiet glide technology. Hyperice is a wellness tech company that makes devices designed to help you move better. From handheld massage devices to vibrating foam rollers, thermal technology, and the Normatec compression systems, Hyperice helps you warm up faster, recover quicker, and simply move better. Used in professional training rooms throughout the NBA, the NFL, MLB, the MLS, Ironman, 
and other professional organizations for well over a decade, designed to help improve circulation, flexibility, and relieve tension. Get $50 off all percussion devices now, no code needed, and get an additional 10% off with code GREG10 at hyperice.com. That's hyperice.com, H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com, and use code GREG10 for 10% off. All right, today's guest is one of the world's greatest endurance coaches. He's the first coach in history to coach a men's and a women's Ironman world champion. And what's more, they both won on the same day on October 12th, 2019. Those athletes were none other than Jan Fredino, who broke the course record on the way to winning his third Ironman world championship title, and Annie Hug, winning in the third fastest time ever on the big island of Hawaii and improving upon her third the previous year. He's also the high performance coach and the head of innovation for the Bora Hounsgrove professional cycling team. I'm delighted to have on the show one of the great minds of high performance sport, Mr. Dan Lorang. Welcome. And thanks for joining me on Be With Champions, mate. How are you? Yeah. Hello, Greg. Thank you very much for your invitation. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you very much. Um, just before the, the next races in cycling, they start again. We had now the last races uh, uh, in this week and we are yeah, we're looking forward to what is coming. Also in triathlon, looking forward to, to the next weeks and months and hopefully see the guys at the start line again. I know. It's been a bit of this waiting game, hasn't it, where we've just been in this waiting room waiting to get going again. And I saw on your Instagram that your cycling team, Bora Hansgrohe, have already started off with a, with a bang. They've already had a, a couple of big wins, right? Yeah, we just uh, today was the last day of the Zibio uh, Tour. It's a small, uh, smaller race, but you know always when you go to race, you first have to win it and also have to show that you come good out of this break. And today we win two stages, so a time trial and uh, the final stage and the overall win. So it was nice to see that the guys are on fire already for the mm. for the big runs. And are you with them? Where are you at the moment? Do you travel with the team? No, so in general, I'm so at the moment I'm at home. I'm living in, in Germany in the mountains uh, with my family. And um, in general, I travel with the team when we are going to training camps. We did a bigger camp uh, some weeks ago in altitude in Austria. And uh, I'm generally just going then to the Tour de France, so for the whole three weeks to support there the, the main captains. Um, but my main job is really the focus on training, the focus on training camps, and also in the background about the performance. The, the, the logistics there, the, yeah, the innovations to education of the coaches and all this stuff. So where it's better not always to be on the race because, to be honest, when you are at the race, yeah, you are a little bit limited in time with all the other stuff. And at the race, we have our sports director who are, have a lot of experience and uh, they, they know what to do. So uh, mm. I, I'm fine with this. Yeah, because I was, I was actually curious about that title. Um, High-performance coach, I understand. Um, when head of innovation, what, what kind of things are you coming up with? Or what are they asking of you when you, when you say head of innovation for a professional cycling team? Yeah, it's uh, from two ways. So one way is that uh, in general, if companies contact you or people contact you with something new, something they want to invent or they have invent or a new product. And this comes all to my table. And then I have to, to take a decision and say, okay, we want to go a step forward. We want to continue the chat, the contact. It makes sense. It makes sense to make this investment. And uh, on the other side, it's also my job to look myself for what is new, what, where, where can we be one, one um, step in front of the other guys, or should we do our own innovations, should we do our own, um, for example, our own testing about products. That's, that's my role, to br bring new stuff to the team, to make an evaluation, the first evaluation, 
and then um, contact also the, the specialists in our team. We have doctors, physiotherapists, we have nutritionists, we have other coaches there. So um, my main role is just to see, okay, if if this idea should enter the whole circle or or not, and um, that's that's what I really like because it's also about looking at studies and mm. offering to my colleagues all the new studies that are. That, that, that are related to our sports or that can bring us some new input. And like this, you also stay always on the uh, ahead of the game. So that's, for me, a really, really important point. Have, have, what have you, can you share with us some of the things that you've found since, since this role has started? What have you come up with? Yeah, for example, what, uh, what we did is um, there was a lot of talking about uh, this ketone stuff in the last uh, weeks and uh, last years. And uh, yeah, so we finally did our own studies and find out how and if we should use it and how we should we use it, and also a little bit, um, yeah, bring bring some uh, some clarity in this uh, this m- mystics. And so that's for us for us important. I cannot share everything here because <laughs> we, we uh, in, invest there quite a lot of research. And um, so, but that was for example one topic or another topic about the body core temperature we know all um that there are some pills on the market how you, that you can measure it uh, with which you can measure your body uh, temperature but to have some really live measurements and to see what is going on there and to react on this it's also a project um uh, that i support and that that we develop together with uh, with the company and um or another one is uh, something on the neuroscience based so mm. which effects could have some um neurostimulation to your recovery to your performance to yeah to the task that you are doing so these are just three of the fields that uh, yeah what i try together with scientists with companies to be a step ahead and also in the terms of performance diagnostic that yeah, we developed our own tool now to make performance diagnostic in the field so in the past years, we used some software, but now we can just use our own system, our own uh, database to, yeah, to predict or better to understand more the metabolism of, uh, of the athletes. I love all of that. And I can understand, I think that role would be absolutely fascinating because it's like you're in a position where you're, you're able to reach out, like you said, to all these different companies, but you're also, they're coming to you and, and throwing ideas. And I guess it's a matter of sort of deciphering, you know, what's a, you know, what's a hack and what, what really works. Um, I'm fascinated to get, you know, your more thoughts on the ketones. And I get that, you know, you're trying to keep that a little bit hush hush, but it's a, it's a fascinating topic in its own right of, you know, these, especially these extreme endurance sports, like the tours and in cycling or the Ironman type racing and the effects of ketones. And I was coaching an athlete a couple of years ago and he had the resources to be able to, to, to use it. And we, we experimented a lot with that, with, with his training, um, and uh, it, w- it was a very expensive product to be using for, yeah. <laughs> for anybody that's looking into it. I think it was like $25, a, you know, for each little hit and uh, of this, I've forgotten the brand that he was using. But anyway, it was, it's a fascinating area in terms of nutrition and getting the body into k- ketosis for energy. Um, and have you been able to experiment with that with particular athletes? Like if you've got a training squad of how many are in your team, in the cycling team, 25? Um, 27 we have 27, 27. riders yeah with, and do you pick certain athletes that are going to be experimented on or how do you how do you actually come up with you know how this is going to work on a team concept um that depends a little bit if we have um products that we test that are not 
um, so that has any kind of uncertain, um, um, yeah, danger is the wrong word, but could have a, an effect mm. on the health of the athlete. Uh, like, for example, if we measure temperature um, of somebody, it has no big impact, so there's no risk. And uh, this is something we test for sure with our athletes. And um, perhaps you know also from your experience with athletes, you have athletes who are really interested in technology, who are interested mm. in testing new things. And these are the guys that we we use. Not uh, it, 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 Sometimes these are not uh, uh, our, main, uh, our, our main captains from the races, but these are guys who are interested in the science, interested in giving feedback in, in test, testing some new, uh, some new gears. Mm-hmm. And that is important because it makes no sense to give a, a tool to somebody who just throw it away when it is not working at the first moment, because you need, you need, you need to invest a little bit of time. And, uh, we have there, we, we know our, our athletes and some of them are really, um, really appreciate to be part of a kind of testing. And some of them say, Hey, tell me the result after. And if it works, then we, we can work together, but otherwise, um, I don't want to be to be bored. Uh, I, I don't want to be implemented in it, and yeah. I respect it. I think it's uh, it's okay for me, and um, yeah, that's why I. It's always a nice working because you always you never say to an athlete you have to use this, but it's always like <laughs> okay, are you interested in, and that could be the benefit, and, and then it's a nice working. You have a really good uh, a workflow, and uh, um, everybody is interested mm. in the results, and they ask and they want to see the data, so. I like that kind of work. I, I imagine coming from, you know, and I want to get into your past and everything else, but before I do, just I imagine coming from triathlon, which tends to be a sport where we we put up our hands and say, yes, please, let's give all these new things a go. I mean, you go back to the 80s and disc wheels and, and clipless pedals and aero bars and triathletes were just all over it from from day one. It was like, okay, we, we must have all of this stuff. And, and the innovations that keep coming, triathletes tend to be, okay, whatever it costs, I want to try and buy myself from free speed. Has that kind of coming from triathlon, have the cycling world been as adaptive of that kind of a mindset or have they been a little bit like, whoa, 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 this is all kind of cryptic and, you know, what what is the difference in cultures between Mm -hmm. triathletes and and cyclists like that? Um, So my first real engagement in cycling is around 10 or 11 years ago when I was in the Cervelo test team. There I worked as as a sports scientist really really in the background just uh, looking at some data and giving studies and making performance diagnostic there the culture was um, it was the first time that i felt oh yeah okay here they are interested in science because i always heard yeah cycling is traditionally and they don't want to change and they have their own methods and you have some old guys in it who who knows how to do it so that's what you heard as a young scientist and but i had there the feeling oh something is, is happening and then you have um, uh, squads like HTC at these times uh, where you saw um, yeah they're doing a little bit more than uh, yeah just riding the bike and there I, I really mean to, not to misunderstand me I really mean the, 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 the loud science not the doping stuff not this one but they really looked at data the performance testing and how could you do this and they have scientists in their team then now, uh, when I came to Bora Hansgrohe, um, it was also a little bit of a risk for our general manager to take one coach who's, who was just one year involved in cycling. Uh, he comes from triathlon, but that was exactly what he wanted. He wanted mm. to get some knowledge from different sports, somebody who's looking a little bit in different areas. And uh, I was, um, and I, it took me one year to get, for sure, to get the confidence of everybody because he started as a triathlon coach and. My, in my first year, I just 
just was a coach. So one of, of the others and coach my, my nine athletes. And then we were quite successful. They developed well and you get more and more a good reputation about what you are doing. And then it's easier. Then you can also present new stuff. You can try to convince the team to buy this and this and to invest money. And it, it brought me now to the point that I have a really big um, trust of my, of my general manager um, who, yeah, when, when I present something to him uh, and when I can really show him the, 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 the difference of, that could make the difference, he, he tr just trusts. And that's it's a nice feeling. It's also when we're recruiting new riders, that's also a part of my job. Um, together with the colleague to look at talents, make the talent scouting recruiting process. And um, so it's something that developed over the last four years that the, also the team was all, so the general manager was always open to this new stuff. What he showed already by choosing these people that he brought into the team, like, like me in person, like a triathlon coach. And that's why if your general manager, so if your head of an organization is already open-minded, then it's easier Then you. Everybody knows, okay, we have to think differently and we have to not just making the stuff that we did the last 50 years, but we have to find new solutions. If there is something to find, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I really, really believe, and I heard it in also in one other of your podcasts, I really believe in the basics. So, And that is also my role, to get all that stuff away from the athletes and just saying, hey, guys, first of all, focusing on the basics, on good training, recovery, nutrition, on the uh, commitment and then we're talking about the extras but if you don't do the basics right then we don't don't have to talk about the extras it makes just no sense and that is also my role a little bit to to see okay this guy he, he's making good nutrition he's he's training well he's is uh, completely 100 committed to his program perhaps we could give him because we mentioned it some ketones for the race but not mm -hmm. if i see okay his nutrition is bad and he just doing 80% of his training or his motivation is not the best. So then we also don't need to, to give something extra. So that's how we are working. We give, we have a toolbox, but we just use them um, um, correlating also with the development of the personality of this athlete. So the further, the further he is, the more he gets also from this technology stuff. And not, not a young rider gets already all the technology that we have. I think that makes no sense. Oh, that's really well put. And I think you're referring, there's been a few times I've, I've spoken to, like you said, on this podcast. And, you know, I think we, we, we all often get hung up on the 1%, you know, the marginal gains that came out of the Sky Team, you know, the whole, and it's kind of like, whoa, 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 that's, you know, let's get the 99% done right first, like you said, and then we can add, you know, and, and you can be adding that 1% throughout, but it's kind of like, let, let's make sure we're focusing on doing the work, turning up, being consistent, staying healthy getting the right amount of sleep, eating right, doing all of these things right, and then, okay, let's discuss ketones and blah, 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 and there's a million of those things we can do. Now, I want to just step back real quick and not, not too far right now because 2019, that having Jan Frodeno, Annie Hug, winning on the same day, and like I said in the introduction, I, I don't believe there's been another coach that's had a man and a woman, Ironman world champion on the same day. What I loved about that is, okay, you could say Jan Frodeno is one of the all-time great athletes and, and maybe, you know, Dan Lorraine got lucky to have him in his stable and blah, 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 and, and Jan was always going to win. That's, there's that kind of an argument you could say. But then you've come along and gone, well, hang on. If you think that was a fluke, here you go, Annie Hug. And Annie, in, in her own right, is one of a great ITU athlete, 
but we're not talking Olympic gold. You know, she's been there or thereabouts, a phenomenal athlete. And then you've transitioned her in a in a fairly short two year span, I think, um, to become Ironman world champion with an eight hour forty minute uh, race. Tell me, have you come down from October twelfth yet? And that 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 feeling as a coach, I mean, that must have been just something remarkable for you. Um, yeah, to be honest, it's uh, it always comes back to the to my mind, especially when you talk about it. When when I have the possibilities to have podcasts like this, or when you have some journalists who contact you, or some friends or athletes who talk about it, then it goes quickly. So your thoughts are going quickly back to to this date, and all the the, the memories come up. So the positive memories and. Um, but it um, on that day it really took me a while to realize what what they did and in the end effect what we as a team achieved there and um, so I try just to say hey uh, to be thankful for this and to enjoy the moment and uh, knowing that perhaps this will never happen to me again and it was yeah it was so much I cannot really describe it in words because there is the, it, there are the, the wins of these two athletes but it's also two athletes I'm working already a long time with, with Jan from 2030 or 2012, at the end of 2012, we started. And with any, I started, I think, 18 years ago. So it's a long, long journey and what comes there to, to a peak. Uh, and um, yeah, that's, I, I don't know if there are so many areas in life how, where you can feel what, what you are feeling there in that moment. And um, that's why I... I really like to go through this again and again at, at some good moment or when you have a bad moment to think about, oh, <laughs> that's, that's a really a, a good motivation. And um, yeah, it was just a, just a fantastic day, a fantastic year. And um, I could, but, but what you said, Greg, I think that we also as coaches must say, we must also be thankful to have these talented athletes. If you, have, uh, you can be the best coach in the world, if you don't have the right athletes, it will just not work. Certainly, there are good coaches out there who just don't have the chance to have the right ones and who can't show it in terms of high performance potential. And that's why I'm taking me back and said, hey, I had this chance. I, then we did for sure a lot of things right. And, um, but it could be that in the next five years, there are other guys, other athletes with other coaches who take, the, take over the lead. And then we go back to the cave and work again and try to, to bring out any and Jan or perhaps some new ones in the next years we will see. Mm. Well, I just think congratulations all around and I think you, you're you allowed to give yourself a good pat on the back and I think, you know, a coach's role, it's a tough one because quite often, you know, when the athlete does well, they get all the glory and when an athlete does bad, the coach gets the blame and it's kind of like it's, it's a difficult role to be in sometimes and I just want to make sure that you get your, your recognition that I think you deserve Um in terms of, you know, working with those two athletes and the different personalities. And it's not just those two. You've done incredible work with also a good friend of mine, uh, Sarah True, who's also, um, you know, transitioning from the ITU to the, the uh, Ironman distance. And and I'm fascinated, actually. You you mentioned, you know, some of the work you're doing with the Bora Hansgrow and, and some of that body core temperature measurement stuff that you're doing there. You know, Sarah, for people that don't know, had – an interesting year last year um, where 
she had finished fourth at Kona in 2018 and, and was showing tremendous promise. She'd finished second at Frankfurt Ironman, the European Championships that same year. Then in 2019, I think we were all going, okay, what can Sarah do now? She sort of positioned herself as the, you know, one of the the the, the women that could do something special. She collapsed in in the Cairns uh, in Australia and the Ironman there. And then in Frankfurt with, with a reasonable lead, um, she collapsed again with, with heat stroke. Have you, how is that looking for you working with Sarah now? Um, as much about the physical as probably the mental um, approach that you're having with her now, how does that look like using some of the products that you're doing with Bora Hansgrove and testing and trying to figure out some of the heat work that you can do with Sarah? Um, yeah, so um, to come back to uh, especially to this story, uh, so in Cairns I was not there, but in Frankfurt I was I was there, I was on place, and it was perhaps one of the baddest moments I had as a coach, even seeing Jan uh, um, w- winning that race. But then um, Sarah in the lead with 15 minutes uh, advance, she just would have had to walk through it and had won. But uh, then I saw the pictures. Uh, and I went to the tent where she was with the doctors, and it was yeah, it was really something you don't want really to see as a coach. But on the other side, it was just something. Uh, it was just so good to be there and to I don't know if it we can call it help, but to um, yeah, to be there and support as good as possible, and also uh, this helps for yeah for the for the future to to work together to have the trust and to go through it. What happened really there? And um, so it was never the case that we did something um, that was not allowed or permitted by doctors. So we had to check after cans. We had to check also after Frankfurt about what is going on with the body. See, even so, we really looked into it and tried to figure out what was going wrong there. Was it just the wrong nutrition, the wrong pace? Was it something completely else? I, I don't. I don't want to go too much in details because I think there are also some personal information in this, and mm. I don't know if Sarah wants to share this. That's why it's. But we, it's what I want to point out is not that we said, okay, Cairns did went well, so we are doing Frankfurt again in the heat. Well, it didn't went well, so we continue and continue. No, no, we we really try to figure out what was going on there, and what was also interesting, the company that I that developed now the sense of uh, together with our the cycling team, they saw these pictures and that was the moment that they came to the idea to say, hey, we have to do something there because what we see is a clear collapse of heat and if the athlete perhaps could see how high the temperature is, perhaps, perhaps the athlete could prevent this. And then the, the owner of the company called me and said, hey, yeah, I saw you are the coach of this athlete and I was so fascinated by what happened there. And that's how we came together. That's so. <laughs> that was wow. the, uh, that is a, a really nice story. And uh, for sure, um, when Sarah goes back to racing, uh, we or can go back to racing, we will also use it with her to get more information about this, what is going on in her body. We did this with some pills, so in the preparation for Kona, to try to figure it out. And um, it's what I can say is, it's just it's not just temperature or nutrition or something that a lot of specialists wrote us and tried to give us advices. No, it's it's more than that. And we will work on this and we'll see how his her career is continue. We we prepare well. She's in, she's in training and, yeah, we have to wait how things are developing in the U.S. at the moment. 
But it was really a, a hard a hard fall from 2018 with this really nice results in Frankfurt and, and Kona and then this really bad 2019. Yeah, it all makes for a better story when she does come back, though. You see, you need these stories of adversity to really make it make it uh, even even more special when it comes out later. Um, I want to. I wonder what I'd like to do right now is just to get a bit more of a background on who you are and where you've come from to get to this point. So, just tell me about when did you sort of first find your passion for endurance sports? So um, yeah, I started in when I was a kid. I was playing soccer and got a knee injury. Then I, I had to change. I, I did strength training, and there I, I developed my passion for sports science because uh, I really like to to tell that story. It was you go to the gym. And you saw there these big bodybuilders who talking about training and how many sets, the recovery and which product or whatever. And you were just there as a teenager and thinking about, okay, it's not just put, uh, lifting rates. There seems to be more about it. And then you start to read. And that was the first time that I was really interested in, in sports science. And then after I started to um, to um, start cycling, to do, do, do bike races, and uh, I always had this passion for sport. So I, I really wanted to look sport in TV. I really like these moments when teams or athletes wins, when they have these emotional feelings. I really feel, wow, that's something special. I also want, first, I, I wanted to be an athlete. But then uh, at some point I saw, okay, this will be quite hard. I was... Not without talent, but not that talent to, to be a, a high professional athlete. And that's why I said, okay, how, how can I make this? And um, with this interest in sports science, and, and uh, when I started my sports science studies, I, I joined there a, a triathlon group. So we have from the university a triathlon group and um, started to read a lot about endurance training and also um, started already quite early to speak with people about it because they saw okay he's, re he's reading a lot he knows it seems that he knows a lot so we asked him and that's also where i uh, um, met first time annie so she also did the same study as i did and she started there with triathlon and she said okay i have no coach so perhaps we can try it together so you as a coach me as an athlete just let let's go And that was the starting point of also of our career. And uh, that's where um, I go more and more because then it was triathlon. At, before this, it just, the, the sport was not fixed. So it was not that I dreamed of being a triathlon coach all, all my life. So it was more about it's, there must be something in sports that I want to do. I, I felt that passion. And um, triathlon, in the end, it was also because of any, but also because When I spoke to triathletes, they always told me, I go running with the runners, I go on the bike with the cyclists, and I go on the swim with the swim squats. And for me, that was just make, just make no sense because it's just too much. <laughs> so, and then I said, okay, this could be perhaps something you can be good in to find out how can you combine these sports together and how is it possible um, to combine this uh, to have the highest level in all of the three disciplines and That's where I started to read and to coaching athletes. I start coaching everyone, not high-performance athletes, but students and the neighbor and I don't know, people who just want to lose weight. It doesn't matter. I, I want to get experience about this. And that's how, that, yeah, that was my start. I love that. Joel Filiol, who I had on, and I'm, I'm sure you know fairly well, you know, incredible yeah. coach and especially in the ITU world. And he kind of described his learning process. He actually learned 
so much from the athletes that he was coaching himself because I asked him, you know, who are some of your biggest influences for your coaching style and, and that kind of thing? And I'll, I'll ask you the same question right now. But he was basically saying, actually, it was working with these athletes and the feedback. And it's, it's interesting to hear you say, you know, you're obviously working with Arnie Hug, who probably showed some ability and talent, but I'm also working with people that, you know, wanted to just lose weight. And, you know, there's a whole plethora of people that you can work with to gain experience to become a, a better coach. Uh, and, I, and I love that. And, and so when you, if we look at your key influences, um, when you started going, okay, there's more to it than just swim, bike, run. We need to look at it as triathlon as a whole. Where were you reading? What was the research and what was the influence that you were getting? Um, you know, was there somebody in particular that you, you were using? Um, I, I, have, I think I have a little bit the same answer. I, I learned most of the things from really from the athletes themselves because how they um, react on it, on the training, on their feedback. But, and then with Jan, I think that was a, also a big step. He was the first, let me call it, uh, he was Olympic champion. So he was the first a little bit superstar uh, in, our tri- in our small triathlon world. Um, that I started to coach and also the first athlete where um, who gives you the feeling there is no other option than winning so it's, <laughs> I, I want I want to win I can win and I want the team around me who also believes in this so I always described it as like a little bit like a cycling team he was the captain and all the people around knows that he can win and if this is the case then everybody is even more motivated to do the job and that's where he's also pretty good to, um, yeah, to keep the motivation high of the people around him. And also it was for me quite um, the first time where I really felt this also pressure because uh, when Jan Frodino is in the start line, it's always like, especially now on long distance, it's, if he is not winning, it's, it's, it feels like he lost something, mm-hmm. uh, even if it's perhaps not the case. And to, to deal with this, this was also for me a big step and uh, also, these talks with him about performance, about what it needs to be a high-performance athlete. Because, to be honest, I have never been a high-performance athlete. I think I know, or I thought I know what it sh- how it should be, but I saw in him a guy who who had all this. So I had my ideas about how you should live your sports, how you, the passion you should have, the way of life you should have, and then he showed me, yeah, that's exactly how it is, and he shows me even more. And um, so from him, I, I learned a lot about this. And um, also from, from any, from when we start, from nobody to growing up to a, to a higher prof, high performance athlete, mm-hmm. uh, I, I got a lot. And then I had some, some, some persons in my life, like, for example, I work in the sports medicine department in the Technical University in Munich, um, where I have doctors who, yeah, they, they said to me, hey, I want, we want to show you everything we, we can because you have... You are talented in this and uh, we, we want to help you. And on the other way, I gave something back. I, I, I had to develop training plans for their patients, to develop training plans for different sports. And so it all, was always a, a, um, an, a good relation. I always had the feeling that I had good relations with these people and they want to help me, they want to educate me. And um, But it was not one specific person. It was more a, a bunch of different specialists in different fields. And it's something I continue even now to keep, to have, uh, to have a good network, to talk. Even if, for example, if a student now contacts me and he wants to have an exchange, if I have to, if I, 
I'm really um, able to do, have the time, I do this. So I not reject this. I try to have this speech. Or if I read something that there are some new researchers, I try to contact the guy who did it. So I try to to keep this exchange, to speak to people. And um, I think that is the best you can do. Even before reading, it's uh, be the best to talk to people and to, to have this network. And um, I think it's, I have the philosophy, the more you give, the more you get. So if mm -hmm. you don't talk about your job or if you don't give out some, some of your working methods, yeah, then you cannot expect somebody else to tell you something. So you have to give something and then you will also get, give, give some, get something back. I love that, that you're coming from the approach to look, I don't know everything and I'm always willing to keep learning more. And, and I think that's fantastic. And you keep learning and growing. And, and that's part of the reason I started this podcast was, you know, after 30 years in the sport, I, I felt like I knew a fair bit, but boy, I just, I'm a couple of years away from the sport. I'm like, I, I miss the learning from the greats. I miss, you know, I'm curious as to, to what makes the best in the world tick. And that's like having you on this, you know, being able to just chat with you now is just so fantastic for me personally, because it's like, okay, where are we at now in the sport compared to where we were 10 and 20 years ago? And, and I will get into more detail a bit later and um, training specifics, but I'm just fascinated about your relationship with working with Jan Fredino. So you were the German national head coach. Is that right? Is that when you, you kind of, you guys met, you guys met in 2012, you said, or 20, you, you met earlier than that, but you started working together in 2012, right? Yeah, no, we met really in person at the end of, so 2012, after the Olympic games, we really there met mm. the first time in person because I started then as an under 23 national coach in Germany, uh, in, in Saarbrücken. So at the, where he, when Jan lived, uh, where he trained. Uh, so six months in the, in the year and there we met first time um, I think the story or perhaps the story is known we met at the pool so he came to swim training he was sick and I saw him the first time and we just have a yeah he was Jan Frodeno so everybody had a lot of respect from uh, in front of him and uh, yeah he came to me and said yeah I'm Jan I said yeah I'm Dan hello and um, yeah so he wants to swim, and but I heard I heard that he was sick. He has a sore throat, and I told him, "Yeah, Jan, but I think you are sick." And he said, "Yes, a little bit, but no problem. I can do this." And I told him, "No, you go home now. You go home, recover, and then you come back when you are healthy again." It makes absolutely no sense to go to a swim when you are sick. And then his first reaction was, I think, in his head, "What the fuck does he want from me? He's the under twenty two coach. He wants to tell me now that I will not swim." But then. In the second thought, it was perhaps he's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah, he went home, so he didn't uh, he didn't swim that day. And um, but he came back in the evening to the gym to do a little bit of gym. And there he came to my office, and there was yeah his, his approach to if I could imagine to that, that I would if I could imagine that I coach him. Um, so he was looking for a new coach, having some new input. And uh, also want to go on long distance over the next years, and he was looking for for a new coach, for a fresh coach. Um, that's where where we met the first time. It's interesting, isn't it? Like, I mean, obviously, you gained enormous respect by sending him home. I think that was firstly, I, I love that, but. It's also interesting because at that point on the scoreboard, you hadn't shown that you were an Ironman coach, had you? Was there, did you have any athletes doing Ironman or long-distance racing and performing well, or did Jan I, just happen to see something in you? 
I just had one, one, one girl at that time, and she was she was good, but she was not world class. She was so good, um, but not as good to to bring Jan Frodeno to the point to say, okay, that's now the coach that I need. Um, so I, I, I'm, uh, I think we must ask himself what's what make him doing that step <laughs> to come mm. to me. I, I, we have never talked about it hundred percent. So what with was is what I what I heard after was that. He, he got already some information about me in before I came there. So he, he made already some research about who is this guy who come now to Saarbrücken. So it was not that I was completely unknown to him, but I'm, I don't know why he then really said, okay, that could be the guy who's, who can coach me. Perhaps it was just because I'm there. I was a new coach. I just had at this, at this point <laughs> two athletes, two under 23 athletes because there was no more two, uh, not, no more under 23 athletes at that moment. And he said, the guy just has time. He's motivated. Perhaps that was enough for him. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, right? Or maybe it was a simple fact that you sent him home that he's like, that's the kind of person I, that, that's the kind of person I need to work with. And you touched on Jan, you know, being a, a captain type mentality um, and almost a born champion. And, and when I had him on the podcast and, and Jan and I have been mates for 15, 16 years. And what was interesting about Jan is that he wasn't a born champion. In fact, that he had something like 40, 45, I can't remember now off the top of my head, ITU starts and he'd never won. And I think he'd had maybe one podium or something before the Olympic Games when he actually did win in 2008. Um, and then he still, that next sort of four-year block to 2012, he had a lot of success, but he was up against, you know, Alistair Brownlee, Jonathan Brownlee and, and Javier Gomez who were just starting to really light the world on fire. And and Jan was definitely in the mix during that time, but he never owned that top step of the podium for that four years up until the 2012 Olympics. But he, he did very well defending him, his title, coming in uh, sixth. He, he struggled a lot with a lot of little niggling injuries, I think being six foot four, you know, trying to keep his, you know, thing, th there's a lot of room for error between the brain and the feet to, to have feet injuries and Achilles or whatever he was dealing with. I, I, I feel like the taller athletes often have to deal with a bit of that so there's probably a little bit where he's he is a champion. He's touched on it by you know winning the Olympic gold and the way he did was just absolutely phenomenal. He's then backed it up with a reasonable you know next four years um, going into 2012. And but then I think he he knew there was more to give. I feel like he'd been given a taste of success with the Olympics and a few world you know um, World Series events and that kind of thing. But I think deep down he knew there was more. Is that what you got the feeling from him? It was like. I've scratched the surface on my ability. I, there's more, and, and I think going long course is what I need to do. Yeah, I think that's something what we found out then the, in the years that we worked together. So at the beginning, uh, when I saw his first performance test, I was quite shocked because I thought, wow, this is the Jan Frodeno that everybody is talking about, or in Germany <laughs> talking about. <laughs> also, I, I thought, okay, so there's a lot of work to do. And um, so it, in that moment, it was, I could not tell, 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 um, tell him from the data that he will be the, the successful athlete that he's, he's, he's now, that he will be this again, because the data were quite normal. And um, so I know, okay, we have, to, we have to, to work. And I think that is something what he appreciates about our relation, perhaps. He saw in me, okay, this is not a guy who is high, so emotionally and so on, um, so guided by emotion than, than Jan is, but he's perhaps a little bit the opposite. And that is something that he needs, somebody who, who, who mm. 
who breaks him down, who can calm him down, who says, okay, it's enough to do this and you don't have to do more. So perhaps this was something what he was looking for, to have a little bit the different pole, pole to, um, to, to find the right combination. But uh, then during our work, we saw really what his body is able to, how well, I, I saw things that I have never seen before. So to do long blocks, his body was able to sustain this, which steps we could make, do in performance with uh, a short amount of time. And then we, we talked sometimes about this. Yeah, perhaps there was more possible. And, uh, but yeah, it's, we cannot turn back the time. We don't even know if it's true. But uh, we find then a really good uh, way to work together. And also Jan, I think he learned year by year how to treat his body, how to um, perhaps not always more is better. I think that is also a, a learning process that he go, go, went through. And that made it also possible for him to, yeah, to, to start this new successful journey on the long distance. And uh, mm. also for a longer time now, not just for one event, but really for several events that he, he did. Just a quick mini break before we get back to the show. I just want to remind you guys to go check out athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Sign up and get your free 20 daily travel packets with your first order of $79 added value. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. You know, Jan, as I mentioned, we did a lot of training together, both in you know, Noosa, Australia, and even when I was in Saarbrücken in 20, when was it? 2010, I think before the Budapest World Championships, we spent a month together. But I'll never forget, I think it was around 2014, 2015, I was on my way out. But I, I was joining Jan for a, a training workout and um, and I think we were warming up. There was myself, Tim O'Donnell, Jan for dinner. There was a group of us training and, and we were doing Jan's workout. And, and it was probably one that you prescribed. And anyway, it was, I think we were meant to be running four-minute Ks in warm-up. And suddenly I just hear Jan yell, fuck. He's all pissed off. And I'm like, what's going on, buddy? What's happening? <laughs> We're only like three or four or five K into the warm up. He's like, ah, that was a 403. I'm going to be running four minutes. I'm like, whoa, 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 buddy. It, it was this kind of this passionate guy that needs a grounding coach like yourself. Like uh, someone that, like, I'm a fairly, I'm much the same as Jan, that I need to have a grounding type person to bring me back to, okay. You're being just a bit, a bit emotional, a bit, a bit passionate. Now, do you find that is your role, somewhat of a, a grounding for him? Yeah, I've, I think so. Yes. So uh, we had uh, in the first year we had the, the chance really to work together, so to see us day by day. And there, I saw this, um, yeah, emotional explosions. I would call them <laughs> uh, when things went good, but uh, especially when things went wrong <laughs> and things yeah. are throw were thrown through the air and whatever. And I saw this and that was good that I saw because it was also the first time that I saw <laughs> this kind of explosion in the training uh, where other people say, hey, come on, it's just one training. Go on, uh, tomorrow is the next day. But for him, it was uh, if he have already lost the war, uh, if one, one interval was not as it should be. And, um, but there, for sure, it was really my role to, to bring him down to ground and to to make him, to give him the security that hey, it's not nothing happened yet. If we do, do can continue to work tomorrow or the day after tomorrow, you can still be uh, one of the best. And it's you don't lose it today, but you can lose it in the next days if you not if you continue to kill yourself. So please take it take it easier, and then uh, we go on. 
Yes, I, I think I look at someone like Jan and, and um, I'm not judging him because I think I was much the same. It took a lot of growing through my career to sort of get a handle on that, um, I will call it passion, um, <laughs> desperation, fear, doubt, everything else that creeps <laughs> in and, and, and you start to, to you know, you're the hardest critic on yourself and, um, you know, you think, well, everything does matter but it sometimes – you, you, you're sweating about the the small the small things that don't matter in the end, and and so I think it's great that you've been a great sort of uh, just a grounding place for him. And when was it that you kind of were like, I mean, you'd obviously done the testing. Was there a point where you were like, okay, this guy could win Kona? You started to feel more confident about it because it was only two years later, and he won in 2015. Yeah, that was hard for me to say because I didn't know what it needs to, to win Kona. So <laughs> I have never coached a guy who have won Kona before. So for sure, I can look at data of other athletes. But I always told Jan, oh, I, in our first meeting, I, Jan told me, yeah, but if he's doing Kona, he wants to win it. And I said, mm-hmm, okay. Of course. <laughs> and then uh, I make some calculation in my head and that this took 10 seconds. And then I said, okay, um, 2015, we can do this. And then he said, okay good <laughs> that's a deal and in the end it, it worked worked out but um my pro my my concept is always okay i look what does it need to to have the best performance in kona but does not me mean that i see okay you have to push now 300 watts for 180 k's no i know okay it's a long endurance effort you need to work on this and this and this and then i try to build out build the athlete as good as possible for this for this competition and not just fixing on one number or one time but the best performance possible and that is uh, how we also prepared then uh, Kona we have a system behind it we said okay that's that's our way but uh, we didn't know if he has like I said if, if he has to push this or to run this we just tried to 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 transform him from a short course athlete to a long course athlete we looked at what are the physiology uh, needs uh, of of a, such a of such an event, and then we we worked on that, and it's never that um, we say okay in training we have to do this session, and if you do this session as well, you can win Kona because there are so much impacts, so much influence from outside, um, so you cannot be sure about this. But uh, we had always want to make sure that there's a progress that you see okay it goes from session to session, or let me say from block to block you see a progress in in, in performance. And after the race, we make an analyze what was good, what was bad, and then we try to work work on that. But it's not that we said, okay, there is now Sebastian Kiel or there is now uh, Lionel Sanders, whatever. We have to change our tactics. We have to work more on this and this. No, we we're really focusing on ourselves, and then to be ready on day X, and then to be, to show the best possible performance. Sometimes a little bit of tactics. That is something what Jan decides in the race. We talk about this. But could be a way. What is the best point, perhaps, to attack if there is a need to attack? For sure, we talk about this. But in the preparation, it's more about okay, boosting, swimming, running, cycling, and bring it to the best level possible. Mm. And you're doing you you you're working with him now mostly remotely. I mean, what he said, he hasn't hardly seen you for <laughs> quite a while. And but but it wasn't always like that, was it? I mean, 2013, 14, where you got he was still in Germany, I think, and then he's only recently moved to Spain the last couple of years. How's that transition being from working and seeing an athlete uh every day to having to work remotely? Mm-hmm. Um yeah that's um so if you would have asked me 10 years before if it is possible to coach athletes over distance, 
especially high performance athletes, I would have said, no, that's not possible. You have to see them every day. You have to be there. You have to support them. And so what, what is in the general picture of a, of a good coach? But then came the situation um, with Jan. It started with him. Um, okay, he, he wants to move. So he had half of the year he was in, in Nusa, half of the year he was in, in, uh, in Germany. And after he moved to Girona. So, um, okay, we can now continue the work relationship uh, online or we just have to stop it. Because it was for me at that point also not possible to move several times to Girona or wherever because my main job was national coach in Germany. And they didn't really, yeah, it was not good seen that I also coach one athlete outside the federation because long, long distance triathlon is not anymore in a federation. It's not Olympic. That's why it's, yeah, it's a different business. So that's why I didn't have these possibilities. And uh, Jan, so it was a decision of Jan. I told Jan, hey, Jan, you could have every coach of the world. Perhaps you should choose someone who is free, who can come to your home and live close to Girona or whatever, or at least go with you to training camps. But he said, no, I'm fine with this. I, I really like that you look at the data, that you give an objective feedback without seeing me, just objective feedback. And then we can talk about it. And for me, it's fine. As long as it works, he doesn't want to change it. And we have always, generally in Kona, this talk every year to say, okay, should we continue like this? And because I like to hear every year from the athlete, is it still his best decision? And until today, we he still said yes. And um, just to finish this, you asked me at the beginning how I came to endurance sports. Um, I think the, the reason why I'm doing the job is what I would know, what I can do really well is to feel what other people are feeling. So if I see a training, a, a, um, a file of Jan, of a, of a run or of a, of, a, of a bike session, I can, even if I'm at home, I can lift these sessions through. So I can feel a little bit what for sure he felt during this. <laughs> and um, that is something I, I've, I had or I recognized already really early, already as a teenager or as a young, yeah, as a young adult, that I, I have the feeling that I can feel when I see somebody with doing a sport or whatever, that I can feel this. And that helped me for sure also to better analyze data and, with the cycling team, it's nothing else. So with the cycling team, I'm, I can also not see them every day. They are spread all over Europe. And um, so you see them sometimes in the training camp, sometimes at the race. But the daily daily business is online coaching. And it's so also so you, you've got an amazing feeling at, at looking at data and numbers and putting it into the human psyche and physiology. I think that's extraordinary. You know, You can look at these data files and actually feel like you can be inside that athlete's head. And almost sense what they were feeling. Uh, that's extraordinary, and I love that. When it, when it comes to the cyclists, are you writing their training program? Like, how does that work? When are you with twenty seven cyclists? You're not writing training programs for all of them, are you? Or how does that work? Um, no, uh, we have four coaches in our uh, in our coaching group. Um, I am the head coach of of this group, but that does just mean that I'm responsible for education for organization stuff for for yeah general schedules when we go to training plans and to keep the team together so um and on the other side every coach has his athletes so we at the beginning i had nine athletes now i'm i reduced the number to to six because i have other tasks in the team that i'm doing and so the all the athletes are spread to to these four coaches 
And every coach can work with his athletes individually, but we, we have a training platform that we are using and every training plans of all the, of every athlete is online. So I could have a look at the training plans of my, uh, of my colleague, of his athletes. I can have a look at their, um, if they have a chat there, see this, um, we can talk about this. So it's an open, an open system. So we're working together as, as this coaching group, but the responsible coach for every athlete is, um, yeah, so every athlete has his own individual team coach, and uh, that's how and, we are. And so, uh, how we are working. And so, it's like the sprinters and the climbers and the domestics—they've all got their specific coaches. Is that how it works within the team? No, it's really mixed. So, uh, for example, oh. I had um, I have in my team I have the six athletes like Pascal Ackermann, so he's a sprinter. I have Emmanuel Buchmann, who is our GC contender. Uh, well, Max Schachmann, um, um, Rafael Maika, so GC contenders, sprinters last year or until last year also had Sam Bennett who is also a sprinter. So it's more mixture. It's more, it's more about personalities. So we mm. try to find out which personalities fits together. And um, if an athlete is not happy with the coach, what happened in generally, well, I think it has happened one time, then for sure he can also change. He can also say, hey, I think this coach would suit better to me. And then um, it's possible in this group. But every athlete has to have a team coach. That's the only um, um, thing that he, yeah, it's not possible to have an external coach in our team. And we have oh, different personalities. That was going to be my next question. I was wondering if athletes, you know, because I mean, they're, they're, cycl- they're traded, you know, from team to team um, and they might get comfortable with a certain other coach. So that's, that's interesting. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, in our team, it's not possible. You need to have a team coach. We have coaches from different countries with different backgrounds so with different personalities so i think nearly every athlete could find a coach that fits for him and um yeah the fluctuation is small we had sometimes that after some years one guy say okay perhaps i want to go to the other one or perhaps the team management says hey what do you think if perhaps this guy changed just the coach to see if we can find more potential but um, important in this decision process is it's never a decision against a coach. It's just to get the best potential out of the athlete. It could be that another combination is better. So that is also something we have, perhaps you also notice. It's not, sometimes you don't have the right uh, success with one coach. And it's not always that the training or whatever is not good, but perhaps just the, it's not, just not the right fit from the personal mm-hmm. fit, uh, pers- personalities. And then you are losing too much energy to, to find there the balance and uh, th- this energy is lost for the for the for the yeah for the trading and for the performance development. So it's a, you've got a lot of work going on between being the head coach for this you know one of the world's greatest cycling teams to then being the coach of probably two of the greatest Ironman three of the greatest um, excuse me with Sarah True uh, Ironman athletes in the world. Have you had a big demand of you know since 2019 especially? Um, with more professional triathletes reaching out and asking for coaching, and you've, have, have, have you had to turn many of them away? Yeah, I, uh, big. Uh, I don't know what you call a big demand, but there were several demands. Uh, at, at I, I'd be reaching out if I was still racing and I was doing Ironman. You'd be at the top of my list to say I need this guy to coach me. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm curious. <laughs> No, but um, for, yeah, I, I had uh, yeah um, some some dem- uh, some demands, some athletes who contact me and ask me, is it possible to coach me next year, or how are you working, or what are your methods, or whatever. 
And yeah, I, I could not really accept some of them because of my, of my main jobs. Um, and uh, sometimes I even help them to find perhaps another coach. And uh, so that's, that it's, yeah, you know, you, you have a network, you know, perhaps other coaches where you think this could fit together. And yeah, sometimes it's also, yeah, and you say, oh, fuck, it would be nice also to coach this one, but you just have a certain limit <laughs> of time and yeah. you have to be honest, even if you cannot, if you cannot um, really require the, to the, the demand of the athlete, I think then you are the problem in his career. So it's the career of the athlete and the, the athlete must look that he gets the best possible fit. And then you, as a coach, you must be honest and say, hey, I, it would be really nice to coach you and it would, I would really appreciate this, but it's, I don't have the time, so better to choose for another one and, um, yeah. I, I want to move on a little bit into some of the specifics, um, if that's okay with you, on, on mm-hmm. your training philosophies because I think, you know, for a lot of us that are, well, a lot of listeners that have got Ironmans or 70.3s that are on the horizon, I mean, it's hard to plan right now, but what kind of, when you look at a year, um, do you have a, a general philosophy that you're going to use as a template to cross over all the athletes and then kind of finesse it depending on the personality? And if yes, what does that kind of a year look like? Or what is you, yeah, what does a kind of a 12 month or a six month block look like for you? Um, so, first of all, uh, we, I look which kind of athlete do I have in front of me. So in general, we start with some weeks of easy training and then we're making, um, let me call it a metabolic profile. So it's seeing, okay, how good is this aerobic system? How, how good is this anaerobic system? What are the skills in cycling, running and, um, and, and swimming? And then, so that is just to get a picture. Okay, that's the athlete we have at the moment. That's the point where we are. And then we are looking, okay, where do we want to go? So what is the requirement? Uh, is it... Kona, is it uh, is it short distance triathlon or whatever or is it uh, the, the Tour de France um, and then um, we say okay um, we fix uh, a general plan with races so we say okay these are the races we want to do I, in triathlon I prefer to do not so much not so many races so in general my athletes are not doing so much races during the year because I think uh, you in triathlon you can have a good better development when you focusing on your training and then are going to racing to race to race and not to prepare but really if you're doing a race you do it 100 and you go mm. try to go for really all out uh, effort there and um, then um, it depends a little bit but in general i would describe my philosophy that we we try to to go up with the aerobic level so we are working most of the athletes at the beginning of a training phase on on the on the vo2 max so bringing this up then uh, we switch a little bit uh, we switch we go more to an, an, an a strength endurance phase and and then in the end so i make it really shortly because it would take too much time to explain it in in detail but just to give an idea so it's the vo2 max block then we have a strength endurance block and then we have a race specific block and um, this kind of block, so the first time that we are doing this, it's about perhaps 12 to 16 uh, weeks or three mm-hmm. to four months at the beginning of the season until perhaps the first race. And then we repeat these blocks um, mm-hmm. several times during the year, depending a little bit on the, um, on the gaps we have. And then for sure comes specific adaptation for Kona heat training, or if, if some athletes doing competition at the, at the altitude, or if I have athletes working a lot with altitude training, 
we have to fi figure out where is the right spot to, to put this training. But in general, this is a little bit how we proceed with most of the athletes. And then come some exceptions. So if somebody has already high VO2 max at the beginning of the season because he has it, then perhaps we start with different stuff. But it's always a little bit from short to long. So we work mm -hmm. more on short, short intervals, on, on technique, on speed, on VO2 max, to, and after to bring it to more longer distances. So we do, I love that. Yeah. And on the other that, side, we, we I prefer, especially at the beginning of the season, I really also prefer this kind of polarized training. So doing also a lot of training, really, really easy. And then on the other side, being fresh enough to do this, these short intervals, this is what I, what I told you, VO2 max work and um, technical efforts. It's interesting you, br you bring that up. Uh, it, it's kind of a philosophy that we had, especially the second half of our career for my wife and I, and it's... A little bit, I got to the point of sort of believing, especially in the shorter course racing, look, if I can run one kilometer in 245, ideally all I'm trying to do is get fit enough to run 10 back to back in 255, you know, 10 seconds mm -hmm. slower off my best. And and that is purely just aerobic endurance, strength endurance. It's not speed work so much. If I can already run a 245, it's coming from, but it's interesting. Do you find that doing that, do you have to be very careful if, if an athlete's come off a break? um getting back into vo2 any kind of speed work how much time do you give them before touching on any of that sort of vo2 max work because i, I kind of find like the fascial system can be quite tight after a break or don't you prescribe breaks i um, that's another question i guess <laughs> um so uh for sure there are breaks in general we talk about a four week break but we have there two weeks of perhaps off and then two weeks of like i call it fit for fun so there we are athletes just moving around and doing what they want. And then we go back to, to normal. I, in general, I don't believe in doing too long breaks. Sometimes it could help, if, especially if there's a mental aspect about it. But for the body, it's like you said, if you, if you do four weeks or longer, nothing, you have a quite big degeneration of, of your muscles, of your tendons, of your, yeah, of the of whole structure. So you need time to go come back to, to the level to be able to do the necessary work. Um, but there we must um, split the, the, the disciplines. Uh, for sure, on the bike, for example, you can start earlier with VO2 max efforts than in the run. In the run, it, mm, you need a little bit more base. And then when I do it in the run, I, I, I start, for example, also with hill reps, so doing it more on the hills than on the mm. flat because there the, the impact is not so high. And then it's a, it's a build-up. So it's really a, a build-up week by week that the body has the time to adapt to this impact. It's not what I don't like is sometimes you see training plans that of a, a session come out of nowhere. So it's uh, you see it's a really hard session, but it's it's not prepared. So the athletes mm. or, or there comes a critical power testing, and it was never some intensity before. So um, where I say hey, but it's clear that the body will struggle here, and uh, and even there's a risk of an injury why should we do this so it's better to prepare them that's why um, especially in this first three to four three to four months that i described we use a lot of time also to to get used to um to the impacts and a vo2 max interval uh, training for sure when you when we look at literature we say okay 20 minutes you should be around in your vo2 max area uh, to have the perhaps the highest benefit from that session then depends a little bit but for sure, in that my first VO2 max session of an athlete, I would not be 20 minutes in that area. 
I will just mm. start it shortly. And then perhaps we don't have the full view to max effort, but, um, or um, not effort, but the full view to max effect. But we have an adaptation of the muscles of the tendons of the bone mm. to be able to to do the trainings we need later in the year. That's interesting. So I, I didn't actually know that. So around that twenty, and that's twenty minutes straight, or is it twenty minutes worth of intervals? No, no. For example, if you do forty twenties, so for example, this kind of intervals, yeah. and you take the forty seconds, and you uh, you can so with these forty seconds, you can do several times until you reach. 20 minutes so of load not the 20 seconds but the 40 seconds so you until you reach it that's uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a number so it's around no i get it be. Yeah. it's funny I, I look back and i think my favorite workout of all time is 20 by one minutes with one minute recovery for my running oh yeah uh -huh. and, and, and trying to keep the one minute recovery as i approach i'd actually do this probably the opposite of what you're saying i would do this well, I do it most of the year round. I would keep my kind of my two hour long run steady and I'd keep this kind of one um, VO2 max workout sort of throughout the, the year. But I'd like to do it about three weeks out from a key race, um, this 20 by one minute with one minute recovery. The one minute recovery, trying to keep it, you know, solid. So I'm still mm -hmm. kind of running four minute K pace. And then the one minute fast is, you know, as far under three minute K pace as I can. And so it's kind of building the aerobic strength endurance a little bit but still trying to focus on the 20 minutes of VO2 work. What do you think about that kind of a, a, a workout? Do you think it's too, too much on the body in the sense that maybe you're burning, you're burning a match that you could have used for a race? You mean now this 20, 20 time one minute effort? Yeah, we, 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 with a mm -hmm. fairly strong recovery on it. So you're not fully recovering. You, you, yeah, yeah. you kind of... No, in general, it's uh, uh, for sure you will train your VO2 max with this. Uh, so it's a VO2 max training. And then it depends a little bit on two things, how hard this one minute is. And on the other side, also how, how um, reactive your uh, anaerobic system is. So, mm. for example, if you're doing this one minute too hard, so that it's not a VO2 max effort, but a higher effort, then it could happen that's for sure you will um, you will build up your VO2 max, but you will also build up your uh, lactate building rate. So you will build up your anaerobic mm -hmm. system. And the combination of both, so the result will be that you will not get better. So you will not have a higher treasure hold. You will not have a higher, higher um, um, endurance um, mm -hmm. in the race. So that's where you have to be careful. If you are an athlete who have a low, uh, really, uh, really um, uh, weak anaerobic system, then this could also help you a little bit to, to have there a boost or even it will have no no big impact because if you have a really weak anaerobic system it will not react in on one session of this so if for example if you do this kind of session with a sprinter type it could be that you just have some really high anaerobic impact work and it's it's ex um, absolutely the opposite of what you wanted to do and that's, that's why sure. the same session could have a different effect depending on the metabolic profile of the athlete God, I love that. I, I, I think because uh, I'm not a sprinter by any means, so the chance of me going anaerobic was pretty minimal anyway. So I'm going to look at it and go, I, I totally understand what you're saying, and I think that's that's fantastic. And in terms of building the aerobic engine, when you're specific to triathletes, um, are you focusing on on miles plus intensity, or how are you? If you send yarn out for a long run. Is he doing just a straight long run for, for two hours at a certain pace? Or are you just saying time on the legs? Or is that different throughout the year? 
um, uh, we have their different versions. So one version, what we what he also prefers, and what in sometimes during the year is good is, for example, we say go out for a long ride, a uh, long long run, one hour, one and a half hour, or two hours, but a hilly one. So he can then it's okay to have this kind of intensity changes. For sure, he will, he will not now go over threshold. He knows, okay, I will stay under threshold, but it has a higher metabolic load then if we say okay Jan now it's important just to have a steady pace run flat no intensity boat um, uh, spikes uh, it depends on what we want to do but uh, mm -hmm. there are the changes and we, we with him are working with with uh, when we went flat flat with speed and um, and time with other athletes we're working with heart rate it depends a little bit from athlete to athlete Uh, Jan is quite experienced. He also, when he runs on speed, he has still his heart rate. He sees, okay, uh, I'm still in the range that I should be. So, um, but with others, I really prescribe, okay, in this long run, try to keep your heart rate around 130 to 140, somewhere around this. And uh, even if you, and then if you go on a hilly run, perhaps a little bit higher, but then you must also know that it's a different one. So if you have a steady pace run flat, And if you have a hilly run, perhaps you both call it an, a long endurance run, but it has a different metabolic impact. Mm, mm. And what about the bike? I'm really curious as to what you've done because Jan Fedino is a reasonable biker in ITU, but he was nothing like a, a standout. He wasn't the guy charging off the front ever. Um, he, I, I never saw him in sort of any non-drafting Olympic distance racing to know what kind of his 40K power was like. But it seemed to me that, over the space of the two years that you guys worked on, that he suddenly went from this incredible ITU athlete that generally means you're a very good swim runner to be this somewhat of an uber biker. And he, he never got called an uber biker probably until this last year or two because he had such good of a, a, a weapons in the swim and the run. What have you done with your athletes, Annie Hug, uh, Jan Fredino, Sarah Tree, all their bikes improvement, so amazing. What, what's the, the core of the bike for you guys? Yeah, I think uh, when we take Jan, I think it's 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 really a mixture. So it's a mixture of his own interest in technique, in try to find the best material, the best position, always working on this. And also to having in head, especially what you said, that in the past he was perhaps not the strongest biker. He was more, not, not a weak one, but not the strongest one. And mm. he knows, okay, I have to work on this. And uh, for, for sure, one part is also that, uh, yeah, With my, with my background I have, uh, I have for sure different options to work on, uh, especially in the cycling, on, on, in the training programs. And uh, then we also used um, also really specific roller sessions. I think that also helped him to develop mm -hmm. himself so to find the love, to, not the love, the, but the, the effectiveness of roller training in, um, um, at home. And I think it's really, it's, it's really a, a mixture of this, of the training, of the passion he has, of the weak point that he, what, what he still thinks is, okay, there's still a, a weak point cycling and I always have to get better and better. And, but it's a lot of work. Um, uh, and in the end, in the, end uh, the people just see the outcome. But Jan, <laughs> Jan has also to work a lot to get to that point. It's not that they just fly to him and, in the past years, sometimes in the run, you have to, you, you felt like, okay, if we are doing the run, se some right sessions, it's, it comes faster. So it comes really uh, faster to a point to say, okay, now we are ready for the run in the long distance. But on the bike, it's, it's really a lot of, a lot of work. So, um, yeah. And 
I would not say um, that it's just one specific thing. It's a, it's a mixture. And the same with, with Annie. She's doing a lot of work. She's suffering a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also on the roller, it's, um, especially for her, she's a really light athlete, a small athlete. And there it's not so easy, especially when the courses are flat, to, to produce that power and to, to, to keep up with some stronger girls. And, um, but it's a, it's a process. It's a process of, of working and also of, being, of knowing what it means to, to spend hours on the bike. And to, I think that is the point, to also enjoy this. Because sometimes they didn't enjoy it when they come from a short distance. <laughs> they didn't enjoy five hours uh, bike rides, but now they even enjoy it. And that's, that's, that's important. You have to enjoy what you're doing there. And, and uh, yeah, I also try to, when I see that it goes in a different direction, we also try to change something and to bring some variation. Because in the end, uh, it's not the most sexiest training that has the biggest, uh, biggest uh, impact. Sometimes the training is just quite standard, um, mm. but you have to change it just because of, yeah, to bring something new in and to change a little bit the rhythm and to, yeah. But for the metabolic adaptations, there are some, some standards that we are using and they are working. But I, I love the fact that I think you, you're still changing it up throughout the year for them by focusing on the, like you said, th- you know, the VO2 part to the strength endurance to the the race specific. So they're getting different adaptations throughout the year, but also they're getting a bit of a, a mental uh, break from doing VO2 <laughs> work. Okay, now I can focus on hill reps or strength work or big gear work or whatever it is on the bike. To oh, okay, now I can do the longer miles. So it's kind of. They, they get a change of scenery throughout the year. So I think that probably helps break up the monotony of you know, the consistent hard, hard work, you know. And, and, and like you said, I think with Jan, watching his, you know, bike position, have you worked, do you work with his bike sponsor, Canyon, in developing that position or is, you've just let Jan do that, you know, for yeah, instance? Yeah, yeah, I let Jan do this. He has some engineers from Canyon. We have a, a company for seating position for aerodynamic analysis. Also, Jan's manager, Felix, he's involved mm. in this, so he's always at, on his side uh, with this. Um, so that uh, I would love to be also there more, uh, more beside this, but it's just not possible. And that's why I, I, I look at the results. I give my judgment on it. And I also, when we change the bike position, I, I told him uh, something seems to be not so smooth, so, so good there. Uh, so I give him my opinion. Um, but in the end, it's about himself and the team around Kenyon about, and also about uh, a company in Germany who makes this kind of um, seating position analyzed that we are working together. It's a, yeah. it's a nice network. It's yeah, nice to have it, people on board. It's a good team. It's a really good team. I mean, and Jan brought that up several times in the podcast of his incredible team with Felix, the manager you mentioned, yourself, Kenyon, his wife, uh, Emma Fredino. Um, he's got this amazing team of people around him. Uh, which takes time to build over the years, but he, he's got obviously it's the right ingredients right now. How much are you involved with when you know we touched on it a bit earlier, but with each of your athletes' specific racing and how they're going to race within the race, or do you just allow the athlete to go race however they want? Um, so we talk and uh, before the race we talk about a tactic. So about okay, what do you think am I able to do, especially on the bike and on the run? And um, so, and then we say, okay, what could be a tactic? Um, where could be a point to attack? Uh, how far should I go over threshold if I attack? So these are things we discuss. But I always give uh, the advice to the athletes and that it's just a, a rough 
plan. It's not that they should stick on their what's per 100%. It's their body feeling what is really important. They bring in the experience. They have so much case on in training so that they really know their body. And we just give a rough plan about so that they know or that they can react on different situations. And they can always make some kind of um, um, adjustment or some kind of comparison between, okay, that is what my power meter is saying. That is how I'm feeling. That is the race situation. And then he has in mind, what did we talk about? So, and then we, 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 uh, we fixed this plan. And um, in the end, it's, it's also the decision of the athletes. I, I can just mention any. Uh, she, had, she, didn't, she had a really a bad season, uh, 2006, uh, 2019, uh, before Copenhagen. So a big injury, no competitions. And then came Copenhagen uh, with, uh, with this uh, really nice uh, win. And then she went to Kona, but the time for preparation was quite short. And we were not sure, or we were not, we, we thought if she could go to the podium, that would be really great with this preparation. But um, then I, then I, we, we had to talk some days before the race, and I asked her, okay, what do you want to do? Uh, so we have two possibilities. One is um, we go conservative, and then perhaps you can do top five. And um, what would be really great, sponsors would be happy, all fine. Or we could go um, all in. No, and then she, no, no, and then she said, no, then I want to win. And I said, what? <laughs> yeah, I wow. want to win that race. And I said, okay, good. Then we change our plan. Then we have to be quite aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I love with, that. I love that. With with the risk to lose everything, to or to yeah. lose that because I, I told any, okay, you can do this and. If this and this happens, you can hold on for, I don't know, half an hour. But if, if it's not possible, you just will blow up. Uh, are, you ready, are, you, are you ready to accept this? And she said, yes, I would want to try. Better to blow up than to be fifth and have not tried everything to, to win the race. And that's the approach. So it's the athlete who, takes, who is the, the, the main, mm-hmm. main person in this construct and who can take decisions and all the team is there to support, to give consultants and to give their opinions. But it's the decision of the athlete in the end, what's, what she or he wants to do. What is his biggest motivation? I love that all-in approach, Manny. Gives me goosebumps. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like that because you know the suffering that's going to take place. It's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm going to go win and I'm going to – but you know there's going to be a point, like you said, where you're going to be above threshold for a long, long time to the point that it could, it could really hurt you later in the race. But – and 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 when I say hurt you, literally hurts, <laughs> you know, yeah. a lot. And and uh, but being prepared and having that mindset to do it, and I guess that touches on the next bit. You know, one of the things I love to talk with the guests about is is the mindset and the the mental strategies that they take in. Are you involved in that part with your athletes, or again, is that a bit of the the approach to the racing as well? It's up to the athlete to do that, or are you working with them, or are you suggesting that some athletes work with sports psychologists? Um, so in general, it's something when, when it goes to racing, we have some talks about this, about what is going on uh, from the mental side, how they could deal with race situations. Um, but for example, Jan has a lot of experience in this. He worked in the past with some sport psychologists. He has his own strategies. And with any others, he saw already a lot during his career. And um, it's mostly some days before the race where it's a, a main talk about where you have to bring the athletes in the right mood. So give them the assurance that they are ready and that uh, that they are ready for the fight. Let me call it like this, that nothing mm. nothing could happen. And even if 
we can now change nothing. We we just have now go through it and uh, be ready for it. And we have different approaches. Jan, for example, he he likes to talk to himself. He likes to talk to his pain. To um, yeah, he he's thinking more. And any if you'd ask her what did she, what were her thoughts in Kona, she just said, I don't know, nothing. She was just in a in a flow. And um, so you you on already on these two examples you see different approaches and. Um, if I see athletes, and I saw this in the past, so athletes who really struggling, and if you have a coach, no access to this, you can um, you can try to to bring them together with a sport psychologist. Um, it's just, I think it's a good thing if it's about learning tools, about learning how to deal with different situations. But um, it should always be, uh, as a coach, you should always know a little bit what is going on. Because you have an impact on the mental side of the athletes, the men the, the psychologist has, and it could be that this is not in the right, um, that, that it's not in the same direction, and then it gets a little bit critical. So um, I, I love to to speak to them. I, I I also have different people that I speak to. I think the best, really the best, is that you have that you as a coach has a lot. You have a lot of skills in that area, so that you do it as long as possible on your own, but if you see that you need a different approach or if there are even topics that you have the feeling the athlete doesn't want to speak to the coach, to you as as coach role, then for sure it's good to have something in your team who can jump in and, and, and help them with it. And um, But to be honest, with my most successful athletes, I, I don't have a sport psychologist at the moment. No. I, I just go through them all now. No, to the, So they're really successful to them who really won or so winning in a, in a row i don't have but uh, i i have i really i'm really um open to this so it's not that i reject it it's more i want to see it case by case it's not that i say every sportsman or every sportswoman needs a sports psychologist and on the other side i also say oh it's it's you don't need it at all so it's really individual mm. It really is. And it's an area that I've come to really love, even more so doing this podcast. You know, when I was an athlete, it was one thing I used a lot of the mental strategies, visualizing affirmations, all of that kind of stuff. And I think I was a lot more like Jan, where I'd talk to myself almost like there was a little commentator in my head. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of, one of the guests I just had on, Dr. Tommy Wood, um, you know, and he's a PhD in neuroscience. And uh, it was fascinating when he said, you know, what you think has a direct impact on your, your physiology. And, uh, it's that mindset of what we can think about during an Ironman under fatigue, under duress, and how we can affect ourselves hormonally to have a, an effect on ourselves. It's just a very, I, I feel like we got a long way to go in that area. <laughs> it's kind of a, I think the athletes that some athletes get it naturally. They already have these mental strategies in place and others have to work at it. I'm totally envious of Annie Hug being able to just find a state of flow and not, not have to think at all or, or, or just be in that zone and can't even remember the conversations that she kind of had because I think that's, that's where we all want to get to is that point where like, oh, two hours just went by, huh? You know, it's like that's the kind of <laughs> that's the goal that we're all after. But what about yeah. on the nutrition side? Are you having any involvement with your athletes on that, or you? I mean, you mentioned ketones at the top of the show, but um, or do you leave that up to them as well? Um, no. So, in uh, the athletes work with different nutritionists together. So um, it's not that I'm just working with one, but uh, it depends on 
who uh, who does the athletes known who is in their environment where in which person in, um, who do have they trust to work on for me it's just important to know what they are doing in nutrition and um but um i that's also a, a field that i like also to share with with the specialists and to learn about it to understand what are the strategies as long as it, as it is um, adapted to the training so i think it's nutrition should be adapted to the training and if you have a nutritionist it's for me quite clear that also the nutritionist should know what you are doing in training otherwise it's quite hard and um it's it's like uh, always when you have um different person so a person from different fields and they all have an impact on on the athletes it should fit together and that is the role of the coach to bring this together and to have an eye on that all these experts are working in the same direction and they're not the the good thing from the one and the good thing for the other are in the end bad in in, in combination for the athlete mm. i think that's mm. that's a little bit uh, the danger when you have too many people involved and um, or involved and not controlled controlled really not in a bad way but controlled in a good way so you should work as a team should share information should um, talk about what you are doing and um, that's how also how we treat it in the team in the team we also have a team nutritionist and who works with some athletes individually if we go for training camp he's making the plans with our chefs together for, for the training he has the training plan he adapted to the load to the intensities but in the end we all know what is the strategy behind it so it's not one guy working and nobody understands but it's we should also understand what is the strategy behind i don't know some cow, uh, more carbs or a certain amount of carbs during the rise and, and all this stuff no i think that's fantastic and it's almost like removing ego between all the different roles that you're all in it together to try and come up with the best solution for for the one athlete or or the team of athletes um, when you're talking cycling um what about just want to finish up here i've kept so much of your time and i really appreciate it dan just just some gear recommendations whether swim bike run recovery nutrition sleep is there anything kind of specific that you're like okay, you know, listeners, you've got an Ironman coming up or you're a professional cyclist or you just want to get a little bit fit. Is there anything that, that stands out to you that people should start maybe adding into their, you know, daily routines? Um, I think I have uh, two or three really, really basic. So one, one thing is um, that uh, so training is stress for the body. So just to, 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 uh, to make it short. So when you have already a lot of stress in your daily life and uh, you, uh, I don't know if from your job or from your partner or whatever, um, take care that you adapt your training to this. So better to do just easy training, aerobic training, and to adapt it and to give your body also the time to recover from this. That is really, really important because nothing is so bad for your body or for your training effect than negative or bad stress. And if you uh, boost this effect with hard training, it's just the worst thing you could do. And it's something I, what I see a lot of time or what I saw a lot of time with age group athletes that they have problems at home and then in the job and then they try to get the head clear with some hard training session and they just at some point kill themselves um then it's uh, important also there for the basic try to keep uh, enough sleeping hours to keep um, your routines to have a good nutrition have an eye on your body rate really e e really easy things and then mm. just just focusing that you can do your training sessions in a as less stressful environment as possible so you have to, to enjoy it you need um, after the, the, the session a little bit of time to come down 
and uh, just to respect the needs of your body. I think that is the most important thing. And then you can reach, uh, can achieve a lot, even with small amount of, uh, of training. But sometimes I have the feeling that it's all about, I have to do this, 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 and stress, and uh, one more session, and then uh, forgetting to eat the right stuff, or just recovery shake and then go on. But that, that the body don't really have the time to recover enough to adapt to this to the training stress you, you give him. And that is, a, for me, really, really important in professional athletes, but also in, uh, in age group athletes. It's, it's the same. Also, professional athletes, they really have to take care that they have enough time to recover. There is not so much room to do different stuff. Um, I always tell my, to my athletes, okay, if I do training, the training plan, there is a little bit of room, of room to do a little bit more or to have a little bit something else, but not so much. So if you don't recover well, if you sleep bad, I don't know why, but if this is the case, then it will have a bad impact on your outcome. And then we have to adapt the training. It's, it's not that we can just continue then if there was nothing. We have to adapt the training um, and to, to, to react on the needs of your body. Hmm. Fantastic stuff, mate. And that's a really great place to finish off. Just before we leave, what's the rest of the year look like for you then? If, if, there's a few races coming up on the calendar, you said, with the cycling. Um, do, you, do you think the Tour de France is going to take place? Have they said a definite yes or no yet? I think we're still looking at August 31st or September 1st or something. Is that right? Yeah, at the moment, at the moment they say that it takes place and we really hope that it takes place because if not, I think it will be perhaps the end of cycling um, or at, at least for a lot of teams. But at the moment, it seems that mm -hmm. it will take place starting at the end of August until the 20th of September. And um, yeah, I will now do some recons. Also, recons are you go for some stages and look how the course is and with, uh, with your key riders. And then yeah, at the end of August, I will be at the Tour de France, hopefully. And then we will see what's, if there are still some trial and competitions that are coming up. And what will happen until the end of the year? I think at the moment we can't say nothing about it. I just hope, also for the uh, um, for for the whole world, that we come out of this uh, in a in a good state and that we can get back to normal as soon as possible. But um, I know that it's not so easy, and uh, yeah, I I respect also decisions when sport events are cancelled. But I just want to point out that also in sport there are working places, there are people who are engaged who. who Who, who get their money from there. It's also a normal job because sometimes you see, okay, the economy, they are losing their jobs and sport is not so important. But I think the sport is also an economy for itself. And they also, we have to try if it's possible to, yeah, to, to, to guarantee the people these jobs. I think that's, uh, if for example, cycling is not existing anymore. You have a lot of teams. Every team have around, I don't know, 100 people around. And then they also have to look for something new. For some, it's not so such a big thing, but I think for other people, it's not not easy because they are from coming from athletes and still being in sports and have never been in something else. And that's mm. why um, I hope that we come good out of this. No, well, well said, and I couldn't agree more. And I think we've all got to keep racking our heads on how we move forward. And even if it's not completely normal for a little while, we still got to try and come up with ways to make to find some way of keeping this all going. And um, I did see the other day, I think, uh, that there was an Austrian sprint triathlon championships or something on um, – I think Christian Blumenfeld went and won that. And and so there are little events popping up. I know down here in Florida, they put on a little triathlon last week. Um, there's a few things, you know, you've got to wear your face masks and things in transition. And, you know, they've they've set them off in waves further apart and, and that kind of thing. But 
Um, and I'm all for that. I'm encouraging. I think, I, you know, you want to see these little events. And like you said, the event managers, the coaches, the people all involved, there's, there's a lot of people that rely on the sport industry for, for their, um, for their income and their livelihood. So, you know, like you, I'm, I'm, I'm all for figuring out how we can move forward and keeping these things alive because I, I don't want to see cycling die off because we can't have a tour de France and or triathlon for that matter. I don't want to see it die off. And I think we've got to yeah. keep figuring out how we move forward. But Dan, mate, this has been such a privilege and just so much wealth of knowledge. Um, I, like I say to nearly every guest, I can't wait to make this where we can just sit on a couch in person and share a beer and just and 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 talk and you know stop all this remoteness. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really looking forward to that. But um, thanks, mate, for coming on. Thank you too, Greg. It was really nice to speak to you. And yeah, it would be a great pleasure to meet you in person, perhaps next year or. If you want yeah. to come to the German mountains, you are invited. So, <laughs> oh mate, it sounds fantastic. I'll spend a week training with Sebastian Kinley and then have a week off with you just drinking beer. How's that sound? Perfect. That sounds great. All right, mate. Well, thanks everybody for listening. And Dan, just stay on the line for a second, mate. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll chat soon. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.